I want to talk about things tonight I'm not sure you can talk about. <laughs> Some of the most important things are things that are very, very, very difficult to put into words. Um, and we were talking this afternoon in the, in the seminar time. We live in such a, a verbal time in history. Uh, so much of, of what we do today is conveyed in words. In fact, one of the struggles in film, I think, is to keep it a visual art. <laughs> I mean, it, some of these films, they're worse than preachers. You know, they just talk and talk and talk and talk, and it really is a visual medium of which speech and script is somewhat necessary. But somehow I think we, we think if we can say something, it's more real. And uh, sometimes that's true, but it isn't always true. There are some things words don't quite convey. And I think that's one of the reasons why the arts, music, dance, mime, sculpture are so important. Or the minimalization of feelings into words in poetry. Because poetry is really words used to paint a picture. And what has the impact is the picture not the words that were used. So when I think of the creative process, I think of God in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis. And I love that first couple of verses where it talks about when he created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered. In some translations, it says the Spirit of God brooded over it. The creative act is in part a brooding process. Uh, I was trying to explain to some of my staff and students a couple of weeks ago why it's impossible for me to think of doing anything out of God's presence. So uh, a, uh, a student who has gone on to work in the industry had, had made a comment uh, that, they, that, that our staff were talking about. I, you know, Someone had said, where does God play into your work? And they said, well, I wish I had time to think about that. And I thought, hmm. <laughs> I hope they didn't mean what those words sounded like they meant. And a lot of times our words don't convey what we're trying to get across. But if we just take those words at face value, I wish I had time to worry about God being in my work, but I'm too busy then we haven't even understood the, the fundamentals of what God's saying to us about who he is and how he works in our life. Because if we, if we have brought God into who we are, he is in that, in us, in everything we do. And if that's still a cognitive process, meaning 
You have to think about it for it to be a fact. You don't have very much of God. Are you with me? Because if you're having to stop and go, oh yeah, God in my work. (laughs) I think you're on the right track, but you're not far down the road. And so I was trying, so they said, well, how does that, what does that look like for you? And I thought, how do you describe that? You know, because it's not like everything I do all day, any day, I'm going, oh God, oh God, oh God, I do do that. <laughs> but it's all, not all day, every day, most of the time. And usually it's when I'm not thinking about God at all, I'm thinking about myself and I'm terrified. But it's like a brooding. There's a brooding over what God has called me to do. And it was, the, it was the same when I was painting as it is now when I do a, a computer project or when I'm laying out and trying to look at the schedule for the base for the next 12 months or I'm getting ready to speak somewhere. There's a, there's a brooding going on that's a creative process with God that doesn't have words, but it is always there. <laughs> and it births things into me that weren't there before. And it's a, it's a, it's a reference point, an awareness that I bring something to the table and God brings something else, and until I have his something, I don't have it yet. They said Wilberforce could speak to 50,000 with no application. But I think Moses spoke to two and a half million without any. (laughs) So I I haven't been tested that far yet. (laughs) So it's that interconnectedness of everything I am with everything that he is. And it doesn't have categories. So it's not there when I go to church, but it's not there when I'm cleaning the house. It's there when I'm writing a letter for the ministry, but it's not there when I'm making a phone call home. It's part of everything. It's, a, it's an inviting God in to each moment to contribute what I don't have, to participate with me in whatever I'm doing. And I can't imagine how you could create without that brooding going on with someone. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Because it seems to me that the very essence of the creative process is taking what you have within you and reaching beyond yourself towards something else. And if that is not God, then who is it? (laughs) And that's why creativity is so dangerous. Are you with me? And so if we can actually imagine that somehow God is uninvolved in that process when we're creating, and yet we say God is in our life, then I think we really haven't understood God yet. And we haven't understood what it means for him to be involved in our work, in our life in our daily life. And you know, (laughs) the brooding process is not necessarily wonderful. You know, the picture here is of a 
of a hen brooding over her eggs or, or a birthing process. It's, it's kind of wanting to go somewhere but not there yet. <laughs> and that's wonderful because there's a there to go to, but the not yet is not all that wonderful and there's nothing tangible. And, and I think that that is, that is a death process. It's the process between something you desire for and getting it. If you just didn't desire for it, you'd be comfortable. You could just go, oh, whatever fly I hit was the fly I wanted. Small Middle East joke. <laughs> but as soon as you say, I want that, and you can't get there, now you're in a brooding process. You become dissatisfied with where you are and there's some other place you want to go. There's something else you want to get to. And that process is somewhat melancholic. And I can remember in the 70s, we had this teaching that melancholic was sort of, not demonic, but it certainly wasn't godly. And if you were a melancholic, you probably needed to be delivered. And, you know, so I went through quite a few prayer sessions. <laughs> and I must say, I am a much happier person today, but I'm still melancholic. <laughs> See, because part of that, by any other name, is the brooding process of creativity. It's where you realize it's not in you, and you die in that process, but you have this longing for it, and you're reaching for it, but you're not there yet. And, and that's melancholic. That's not... <laughs> can hardly wait. It's like I'm dying here. And if you just have no desires and not want anything and see everything that you do want instead of having a picture of something that can't be seen but it's already in your heart, then you wouldn't have to go through that. And I think God joins us in that process because he brooded. <laughs> now why does God need to brood? Because it's part of creativity. Something isn't, something may be, and then something is. And then he stands back and looks at it and goes, oh, that's good. <laughs> and then he turns to the next thing he's going to create, and he broods all over again. Because, you know, as soon as you've created the thing you had in mind, as soon as it's out there, whether it's the dance or the painting or the song or the poetry, the very next thing you think is, oh, I think there's something more. <laughs> and only the audience gets to enjoy it because you have five seconds and then you go, oh. And then there's this. See? And I think God enters into that too. See, I think, that's, I think God enjoys that process with us because wherever we are, and no matter how happy he is about the fact that we're there, we're not here yet. <laughs> and he's got this in mind too. And then when we get there, he goes, oh, yes! <sighs> because he always has more. See, because there's no end to the creative process for God. So if you finally become satisfied with your work, now it's perfect. You're not like God at all. Are you with me? Yeah. See, because the very fact that he's God is he goes, ooh, that's good. And then there's, 
And then we get there and he goes, ooh. And so I think God likes the brooding process, and I don't think we're supposed to evaluate ourselves on our moods. We're supposed to evaluate ourselves on the fruit our moods produce. You understand what I'm saying? I don't think it's necessary in order to be a Christian to be, hello, Susie, happy, happy, yes, a wonderful day, hello, 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 let's sing a cheery song. I think those people are called to teach primary school. <laughs> and I think primary school is a wonderful calling. <laughs> but I think it's okay in the kingdom of God to brood, to long, to go through the death process, to... to achieve our best and then immediately know that there's better. I think it's okay to weigh things and to think about them. I think it's okay for people to say what's wrong with you and you say nothing, I'm thinking. I don't think a smile is necessarily the only facial indication that I love God. I think it's okay to have times when I don't want to be around you. <laughs> I love you. I'm committed to the body of Christ. Go away now. <laughs> now don't take this too far, you guys. I'm giving you a little liberty. Don't become hermits. Because I think the creative process has a lot of brooding in it, and brooding is something you do by yourself. And if I was never brooding with God alone, I'd never have anything to say. And if I wasn't constantly in a place where I'm trying to figure out what I don't know, <laughs> I'd never have anything new. And so that process, I believe God joins in and, and enjoys sharing with us. But look at the fruit of it. If it's just pure, selfish moodiness, there won't be any fruit. <laughs> You'll go away and brood and come back with nothing. But if there's fruit from it, understanding of God that's coming into your life, something that that's turning into that you can give away to other people, then you know that that's part of your creative process. And, and, and God actually loves that. And then he also loves looking at the product of it and going, oh, that's good. Now what are we going to do next? <laughs> So God created the entire cosmos. And here's the amazing thing about what God created. It can't lie. Nothing in the material world can lie. Only human beings can make up lies. The material world has to tell the truth. What God has created is an extension of him. And, and the extension of him in creation can't tell any lies. If we want to, if, if we're, it, how can I say this? 
If we want to tap back into the purity of God, we go back to nature and look at it for a little bit because nature can't lie to us about the character of God. He is awesome. He is fearful. He is powerful. He is orderly. He is detailed. And the creation of God will always tell us the truth about God. I'm going somewhere. I just don't know how to get there. So then if we ask, what is the authority of the arts? If we ask, what is the authority of government? In that domain, God gives the authority to govern ourselves as human beings to the people. So this is what the American framers of the Constitution understood, but they weren't the first because it's in Deuteronomy. God said to the people, you choose who you want to rule over you. The authority of the church is God. God chooses who to give authority to in the church. <laughs> so when he formed the Levitical tribe, God doesn't go, okay, you people choose a priesthood and I will appoint them over you. No, he just says, I'm taking these guys. So if you want to know why you're chosen, <laughs> there isn't any reason. You're just the ones God wanted. You say, well, what's the criterion? Well, they had to be Levites. <laughs> it's not, okay, I choose really good people from all the tribes of Israel. I want the really spiritual ones from each tribe. No, you just say, I'll take the Levites. Why? Because at the end of the day, God can use anybody. That's why you and I are here. Not because we're special. We're because we're anybody. And God said, I want you. If you ask, what's the authority of science? The authority on science is the natural laws that the universe works by. You don't have to know God to discover that there is authority in the created world. You just boil water a million times and see what temperature it boils at. And you will know. There is natural law. It can be repeated a thousand times, a trillion times. You can change the altitude and the temperature it boils out will change based on the altitude. You can be a Buddhist, a Muslim. You can have Hindu water. You can have Catholic water. You could have Protestant water, but we don't have any. Sorry. And it will boil at the same temperature. Why? Because God created the universe with laws of nature by which it functions. So the authority is in discovering the laws. Science can't create new laws. They can only discover what's already there. They can lie about them. <laughs> they can distort them. They can say they've discovered something they're only theorizing that they haven't actually discovered. But they can't change the laws of the cosmos because God's put them in place. And the authority of science is using them, understanding them. So what's the authority of the arts? Well, I think there are aesthetic laws. And the authority of any art form are those things that we all know we have to study to master the art form. So in visual design, it's light. You don't get to change the properties of light. 
As an artist, you don't create light. You don't create color. You don't create what putting those together does and what, what things, they, they, effects they have. You simply discover them and learn to use them to, to put together whatever it is you're seeing. But there are aesthetic laws that rule the visual arts. Line, form, balance, color, light, sculpture, positive and negative space, balance, music, harmony, dissonance, rhythm, dance, balance, extension, line, form, using your body as a paintbrush, basically, making yourself a sculpture in motion. It's what we go to school to study. Everybody knows there's something to study in every art form. <laughs> Everybody knows that. They know that there are certain rules by which these mediums work. And they, it, it, it's hard to put a box around them, but everybody knows there are values and principles that we're working with. But everybody also knows that having memorized all of those values and principles and skills, you're still not an artist. <laughs> I remember them saying that the, listening to the communist symphonies during, during the Soviet Union's era was like listening to machines playing music. <laughs> because all the notes were perfect, but there was absolutely nothing but perfect notes. There was an absolutely no personal involvement with the music, no interpretation, even no feeling. And so you were listening to technically perfectly executed music but it, and it could be great music that you'd heard others play and gone, <gasps> but when you heard them play it, you kind of went, <laughs> that was really good, I think. And you understood that what you'd heard was technically really wonderful, but something was missing. And it's that, what is that that's missing that's so stinking hard to define? And this is why I don't know if I can talk about this. I don't know that anybody knows how to talk about this. I know the rules and the principles because we learn them when we go to university. If you take music classes or piano classes or art classes, or you will learn the same basic principles, and you can't move without them. They are immutable laws of creation. Harmony is harmony. Dissonance is dissonance. Silence has a place in music, but silence is not music. Rhythm is essential. We used to have a teaching in YWAM, I won't tell you who, about how it was of the devil. <laughs> These people still teach in YWAM, but they don't teach that anymore. Because <laughs> if, if you get rid of all the rhythm in the universe, you'd be dead. Rhythm is essential to life. It's not just essential to music. Balance is essential to life. It's not just essential to art and dance. These are not just aesthetic principles that are abstracted into some academic realm. These are principles of the nature and character of God articulated into a specific domain. Are you with me? And so you don't get a Holy Spirit baptism. <laughs> of brand new laws on which to build your music 
and your art any more than you get a new gravity. You just get the gravity that is. And it's gravity no matter what you believe about God. That's the justice of God. <laughs> you experience the laws of gravity even if you don't believe in the God who created them. And you experience the aesthetic laws even if you don't know they're from God. Even if you learn them from a pagan. And people resonate with those when they're in place. People know good art when they hear it and see it. They know it. They may not know anything about art. They may not know anything about dance, but when they see something that puts those pieces together, they go, ooh. And they don't go like we've been taught to do. Was that a Christian performer? See, you would never do that naturally. You had to be taught to do that. <laughs> and it is important whether people are saved or not, but there are other things that are important about them as well. Because I'm not saved doesn't mean I don't know a great deal of truth. Because I'm not saved doesn't mean I'm not a better person than you are. <laughs> because I'm not saved doesn't mean I don't know anything about justice. Because I'm not saved doesn't mean I don't know anything about compassion. Because I'm not saved doesn't mean I don't know anything about beauty. I may know a great deal about all of those things. I simply don't know it's about God. And the tragedy is a lot of saved people don't either. <laughs> I was thinking about brain surgery today. It's so simple when you move it over to the, to the sciences. <laughs> you know, if you came to me and you said, I am full of the spirit. I understand how the mind works, and I know you have a tumor, and I'm ready. I'm going to heal you. Well, I want to be healed. And I want you to have that wisdom you say you have. But did you go to medical school? No, but it's okay. I got it in prayer. Okay, so I got this. Atheist neurosurgeon who's operated on a thousand people and only one has died. He's been to 20 years of medical school and specialized in under all the great brain surgeons of the world. And I got you. <laughs> now, I'm not ridiculing prayer or the Holy Spirit. I'm ridiculing our concept of prayer in the Holy Spirit, where it differs from God's. So I am ridiculing. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and I'm going to take the pagan that at least understands how God made the brain, even if he doesn't know God, over this wonderfully saved, completely sincere Christian 
Who doesn't have a godly bone in his body when it comes to knowing how the brain works? Are you with me? Okay, that's true in the arts as well. You're not going to get a new foundation to build the arts on because you're in the 21st century and you're spilled with the spirit. You're going to get the same foundation God has been building the arts, arts on since the creation of the earth. These are pre-human. <laughs> Music didn't start with us. Light didn't start with us. Form, balance didn't start with us. It's pre-human. It's, it's part of an extension of how God has made things to work. And you either go back to those basic fundamentals and build as God would build on them, or you build on nothing. And then you embarrass God by calling it art. And you're like, somebody brought up the cross in the urine. You remember that big fiasco about the guy that had a whole exhibit of crosses in containers with urine? And the fiasco was, people said, is that art? And he said, that's art to me. <laughs> and Christians who read about that, just, just outrageous. How could he call that art? <laughs> well, the same way you do. He thinks it doesn't matter what it is bounded on. The only thing that matters is the message. Are you with me? <laughs> the message is different. The principles it's built on are the same. God doesn't want just a different message. He wants a different set of principles. <laughs> he doesn't want the world's thinking with a Jesus sticker on it except where the world's thinking is already godly. And some of the world's thinking is more godly than some of the church's thinking. <gasps> oh, my gosh, will you look at the time? Five minutes, point three. Okay, let's see if I can do this. So the arts are built on a foundation of aesthetic laws and our skill allows us to learn those laws, but it doesn't make us an artist. What you have to do is become those laws, and every person in sports or the arts will tell you that there is a point in time when the principles and the values are internalized, and they no longer think about them. So. A, a ballet dancer, mid, I don't know what to call any of these things, but when they do those flying deer leaps. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. Totally uncultured. Is not going head up, head up, head up, toes pointed, toes pointed, extend, extend. <laughs> See, because as long as they're going through that cognitive process, what are the principles again? They still don't have them. It's only when they do them completely unconsciously that they are theirs. 
And by the time they get to that level of skill, it is subconscious, and they transcend those principles without thought. This is the part I don't know how to talk about. Because you see, that's God. God is not walking into a situation going, now how should I be just here? I have to remember to weigh compassion as well, and I need to be loving. And what would be, God doesn't have to go through that process. He is the attributes of love, justice. And so he walks into the situation, and he is all of those attributes simultaneously without thought. And he puts them together in a way where you could define justice and you could define love and you can define compassion, but you could never come out with the answer God comes out with because it's a combination of all of those that he then transcends and puts together in a way you never could have imagined. That's creativity. Okay, so if you want to be an artist... You have to become the art. And the only way you can become the art is to know what the principles of your art are and to have so worked them through discipline and exercise that they are tacit to you. You can no longer remember why you do that. But it took you a 1,000 hours of practice to get there. <laughs> and then once you're there, you are skilled, but you're not an artist. Because the artist is the ability to go beyond those rules then and put them together with inspiration and, yes, possibly even revelation. That when someone stands back and looks at your creation, they know you built on all the same principles. But they don't know how you got that out of it. And so the arts reveals God in his integrated naturalness like no other domain. Because you have to move past the cognitive to the existential that is built in the definable law. So it's not just existential. Woo! I'm experiencing art. No, it's built on a long, arduous process of discipline, understanding, and skill. But then you go past that. And so if you've ever watched, say, a skating contest or a dancing contest, where on television you see the last five, but if you go to the event, you see the last 35. They're all stupendous. They're all good. I went to an ice skating event, and I thought, my gosh, it's not just the last five that are brilliant. Everyone who came here is brilliant. Nobody got invited that wasn't brilliant. You know, they can all do exactly the same thing, but then there's that one, and you go, ah. And you think, what is that? What is that? That's that abandonment. It's that millimeter of extension in dance. It's that one less paint stroke in painting. It's that one unexpected cavity in sculpture. It's that balance that can't be balanced, but it is. Are you with me? Yeah. 
And when we, when we touch that, Christian or not, the world goes, oh, because they see something we're not, but we can be. They see something of God, whether it's through a godless vessel or a godly vessel, because the only way you can achieve it is if you built on the principles of God. And you may not know the principle maker, but you've discovered something about him. And so you watch a sunset, you don't say, mm, is that a sunset over a Christian country or a sunset over a Muslim country? <laughs> and it isn't just Christians that go, oh, look at that. And so the arts brings a revelation, an experience, if you like, of something that is not bound by words and not only made up of laws and principles, but neither is it the absence of them. It's a combination that defines what the kingdom of God wants. Okay, can I take five more minutes? They say yes, but you gotta, you got to speak. Okay, five more minutes of silence. That's the part between the notes. I want to say something about that point. You are called to be that revelation of God as an artist. It doesn't have to be justified with Jesus saves. Would you like to come to the altar now? It stands by itself. It's the beauty of God revealed in a sunset, the beauty of God revealed in an exploding star, in a dying planet. It's the beauty of God that by itself makes us stop Take a moment and think that there's something more. And you may also have a Christian message in that, but you don't have to have a message to enhance the, the impact of beauty. And the fine arts is about that beauty displayed in its raw, abandoned discipline. And it's a calling all by itself. Okay, my last point. You can't create anything that doesn't reveal who you are. You can't create what you want to be. You create out of what you are, and everything you create reveals the truth about you, but not necessarily about God. And so when you try to be God's vessel by only learning the rules, although learning the rules and the aesthetic values are very important and the discipline that goes with that. But when you try to then communicate God, but your mind is not transformed with the thinking of God, you'll communicate out of your thinking. And everything you create, whether it's a dance or a painting or anything you create reveals you. And again, your creation doesn't lie. <laughs> it tells the truth about you. And so one of the terrifying things about creativity is you can't hide. And children can't either. I can remember when I taught school, I thought, my gosh, do these, do these seven-year-olds not know what they're telling me in their artwork? And of course, they don't. 
because they're not trying to tell me anything, but as soon as they pick up clay, they'll make something that reveals what's going on inside. As soon as they pick up a paintbrush, they will reveal something. And if you don't invite God in to transform your mind, you will present to the world the God you think exists instead of the one who does. I can remember seeing a painting in this series. Uh, it was on a Christian's view of physics and creation, and they had a painting of Adam and Eve as a backdrop. I think they should have stuck to the planets. The planets were well rendered. <laughs> but Adam and Eve, you know, Adam, strong, in the front, short hair. Huh. <laughs> Eve, slightly behind, head tilted, looking down, long hair. Oh, gosh, I hate that guy's theology of women. <laughs> and I think I hate his theology of men, too. <laughs> you know, but he wasn't thinking about what he was saying about men and women. He was just painting Adam and Eve. But you see, if you paint Adam and Eve, you will paint your view of what God's view of men and women are. And the guy can't have short hair. We don't have scissors yet. We aren't even in the Stone Age, as far as I know. <laughs> This guy's hair is going to be as long as hers. <laughs> and since we haven't learned fear yet, I don't know why our heads are tipped and we're looking down. This is not after the fall. This is before the fall. I see us standing side by side, looking straight at the God who made us, thinking the whole world is ours and we're taking dominion. I don't see any of this little... <laughs> Where'd that guy get that thing? He didn't get that from God. He got that from his view of gender. And he can't help but paint it. Now, that's about him. <laughs> the rest of it's about you. If you are not constantly working on God within you, God becoming tacit, God, God being before you, behind you, beside you, beneath you, above you, in you, through you, out of you. You will communicate yourself through your art, and then you'll say, that's God's vision. Don't do that. Create from what you know is God, not from what you think is. Don't think because you know God, you can represent everything the way he represents it. Represent what you know you see like he sees. And ask him to grant you the wisdom to see more. You know, the terrifying thing about movies is we put words in everybody's mouth. We put words in everybody's mouth. Is that what they would actually say? Is that how God would actually see them? Would all the bad people be, <laughs> and would all the good people be, yes, I'm Sunny, I'm Sunny Christian Susie, yes. <laughs> Is that really the way it is? Or is that the way, is that what God sees? Or is that what we see? Or is that what we'd like to see? Okay, that's my third point. What is the point of the fine arts? To reveal God in an existential moment built on solid aesthetic principles and run through the sieve of character and discipline. Thank you.